Well, good morning. morning. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We'll be continuing in our series through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're we're getting pretty close to the end here of the Sermon on the Mount. And then we'll we'll take a short break and do a a short mini-series on something else, and then we'll jump right back into Matthew chapter 8 a couple weeks later. So, Uh, That's kind of the plan for the future, but we are coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus' teaching is getting a little bit more weighty, a little bit more serious here. Matthew chapter 7 is where we'll be this morning, verses 15 through 20. Now, we take airplanes for granted, right? We fly on them regularly, and uh, to us, it's a metal tube in the sky, not very consequential, unless you have a fear of flying, of course, but for most of us, it's a fairly regular and normal occurrence. Uh, But that wasn't always the case for humanity, of course. Airplanes were first used uh, regularly in combat in World War II. Um, But radar, which is how airplanes are detected, uh, I'm sorry, World War I. Did I say World War II? I know you you history buffs are going to get after me about that after (laughs) service. So World War I, right? Right? Uh, You know, the, the beginning of the 20th century, 1914 or so. Radar, on the other hand, was not invented until about 20 years later. Right, just at the very beginning of World War II. How did they detect airplanes before radar was invented? Well, there's some pretty amazing pictures. There were these massive cones, right, sound cones. And what people would do is they would have these tubes that would uh, connect to these sound cones and they would listen and would amplify the sound of the airplanes that would, that would come. Uh, these soldiers would be there day and night at these listening stations trying to detect the sound of approaching aircraft. And these soldiers had to be diligent, they had to be alert, they had to know what to listen for because uh, the difference between hearing a train that was passing by and an airplane that was a couple miles away could, could be the difference between life and death. These soldiers had to be constantly wary, looking out for danger. Well, in our text this morning in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us that a certain diligence and wariness is required of us as well, especially when it comes to the problem of false prophets. As we'll see in our text this morning, false teachers are not something that we can take lightly, not something we can be apathetic about, but Jesus instructs us to be able to learn, to beware, to recognize them, and avoid them for the sake of our souls. Let's read our text, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Let's ask for God's help as we come to his word. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have not left us as sheep without a shepherd, that you have not left us without information or warnings or roadmap, Lord, as as to how to deal with situations and things in this life. But, Lord, through the teaching of Christ this morning, you've given us clear direction regarding false prophets, spiritual danger to us. Be with us as we come to your word this morning. Lord, if if any among us, Lord, have, have bought into the teaching of false prophets, would you deliver them from that today? Would they be brought into the truth? Would they rejoice in the the truth that is in your word and that is in Christ? 
Father, help us to grow in our discernment today. Help us to grow in our love for your truth as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I need to change a quick setting on this uh, technological device so that it doesn't shut off in the middle of this, uh, this sermon here. I'm sorry. Give me one second. I'm a paper guy. I am. Let's see here. Sorry, brothers and sisters. There we go. Okay. Okay, just had to get the high score there on uh, Candy Crush before we get going. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this will be the last laugh this morning as we consider the serious topic of false prophets and false teachers. Uh, Jesus is going to address three things in our text today. The first is the features of false prophets, who they are, what they do, what are their motives. The second is the fruits of false prophets. We're told to recognize them. How can we do so? What are the things we should look for? And finally, the fate of false prophets. What is the ultimate end that false prophets and those who follow them will face. So first, we'll go back to verse 15 as we look at the features of false prophets. And in the verses we looked at last week, Jesus described the narrow gate, the narrow way, the wide gate, and the wide way. Two paths, two gates, one leading to life, one leading to destruction. And as he continues on in the Sermon on the Mount, because this is one sermon, right? It's not a bunch of bits and pieces tied together. But as he continues, he, he moves to discuss false prophets. And there actually is a direct connection here between this morning's text and last week's text. As one commentator observes, false prophets lead those in God's flock to abandon the narrow road for the broad one and thereby lead them to destruction. In other words, as Jesus begins to talk about false prophets, he is warning us about a serious threat that we must watch out for as we walk the narrow path and pass through the narrow gate. And this is why Jesus commands us in verse 15, beware of false prophets. Beware. Be alert. Watch out for them. Jesus is telling us there is a real danger, and we need to take Jesus' warning seriously. My family and I are going to be doing a lot of camping this summer. And we're going to be mostly in uh, the Sierras, right? Lots of bears up there. Now, if we are camping up in the Sierras and we ignore all the signs about warning, bear activity, put your food in the locker, and we're just leaving our stuff on the picnic table and whatever, we're going to have a midnight visitor, aren't we? Warnings are meant to be taken seriously. That's why they're given. And that's certainly the case here with Jesus' words in verse 15. These verses contain both a warning as well as the ways we can identify false prophets so that we can properly beware of them and avoid them. But what is a false prophet? Right? In order to avoid them and beware of them, we have to know what they are. Well, a false prophet, uh, in, in simplest summary, is a person whose position and message is not from God. Right? Now, we can get a little bit more specific as we go, but at its very core, a false prophet is somebody who claims to speak for God, but does not, and speaks false things. It's a person who claims to teach things that are from God, but in reality are lies. Now, false prophets are not a new concept. They're not a new phenomenon in Jesus' day. It's not something novel to the book of Matthew, but no, false prophets really have been an issue for God's people all the way clear back throughout the Old Testament. We could start in the Garden of Eden with the serpent, but let's fast forward a little bit. Moses, as he prepared to lead the people of Israel into the land of Canaan, warns them multiple times about false prophets. And he actually gives us a really good picture of what a false prophet is and does. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 13. 
Deuteronomy chapter 13. We looking at verse 1. Deuteronomy 13. And Moses says to the people, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses describes an individual who comes into the assembly of God's people and, uh, and, and says, hey, I have a message from God and I can prove it because I am going to predict or do this sign or this wonder, this miraculous, amazing thing. They do it. It comes to pass. And the temptation, of course, is, wow, if they could do that, then maybe they're legit. Maybe they're authentic, right? Maybe I should listen to what they have to say. And then they go on to say, well, let us follow other gods. Moses says, have nothing to do with that person, even if their sign or wonder or, or whatever it is comes to pass. The test is, do they draw you towards or away from the true God? Right? So just from this text, a false prophet is, uh, is somebody who claims to speak for God, but then leads other people astray. And Moses adds more in Deuteronomy chapter 18, just a few pages over. Deuteronomy 18, looking at verse 20. Moses is talking about a true prophet who will come after him, and that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But then he goes on in verse 20 to say, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, that means God's name, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? In other words, how can we tell if this person is legitimate or not? Are they speaking for God or not? Well, here's the answer. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. The punishment for false prophets was death. It was execution. It was a serious matter. So when we look at both of these texts together, we see that a false prophet is somebody who comes into the assembly of God's people, who claims to speak for God or for some other God, and either leads people astray from the true and living God, or makes predictions in God's name that do not come to pass. A prophecy that never is fulfilled. And again, God requires these prophets to be executed because they are misrepresenting him. And he is a holy God. The prophet Jeremiah was also plagued with false prophets. God sent Jeremiah to speak to Judah to tell them, repent of your sin, judgment is coming. It's not a happy message, right? Destruction is on the way. Who wants to hear that? And other prophets, taking advantage of the situation, brought a different message. Turn to Jeremiah 14 for a moment. You can see the contrast. Jeremiah 14 Looking at verse 13, Jeremiah 14. Again, Jeremiah has been sent with a message of judgment for rebellious, idolatrous Judah. 
And he complains to God. He says in verse 13, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. So they're, they're bringing a message that everybody wants to hear. Nah, just don't, don't listen to that Jeremiah guy. He's such a downer. Such a negative Nancy, right? You need to have more positive thinking in your life. You, you're not going to see the sword. You're not going to receive judgment. That's, that's not going to happen. And the Lord said to me, verse 14, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Serious contrast. And the Lord says, they are not from me. They have nothing to do with me. And, and really the description here is identical to the description we saw in Deuteronomy. They're coming in the name of the Lord, but they're preaching something that ultimately did not come to pass. They said, it will be fine. There will be no judgment. But it was not long until Judah and Jerusalem were sacked and taken into exile. Right? These were liars. Unfortunately, false prophets didn't stop being an issue in the New Testament either. Apart from our text this morning in Matthew 7, uh, Jesus warns his disciples in Matthew 24 how in later times many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, Matthew 24, 11. In the book of Acts, Luke describes how there was a Jewish man named Bar-Jesus who was seeking to lead people astray from faith in Christ, and Luke calls him a false prophet. And maybe one of the strongest descriptions about false prophets in the church can be found in 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, speaking of the Old Testament people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now notice what Peter does there, right? He's basically saying there's an equivalency between the false prophets of the Old Testament and the false teachers that the people he's writing to were going to face. Right? They may operate a little differently. Some make prophecies. Others try to teach doctrine. But what they're doing and who they are is functionally the same. It's identical. Uh, these teachers teach false things about Christ. They deny the true God. False teachers and false prophets were a major problem in the early church. Again, we confessed the Nicene Creed this morning, which was written in response to heresy. Galatians, 1 John, Jude, 2 Peter, many more. Right? These books were written to deal specifically with false teachers and false prophets. It was a big problem. Now notice too that Peter informs us that false prophets and false teachers will be in the midst of the church. Jesus says that in verse 15. These false prophets, he says, come to you. They are going to the church. They are going in the church. They will be among God's people seeking to do their deceitful work. And false prophets, unfortunately, continue to be a problem today. They're still around. Still a problem. Um, the, the charismatic movement is absolutely infested with false prophets. Uh, for example, you may remember Harold Camping, right, who, prophes or who prophesied really several times the date of Christ's return, most recently May 21st, 2011. It did not come to pass. Here we are today. He was wrong. The lead prophet of Bethel Church in Reading prophesied that Donald Trump would take office again in the, the previous election that we just had. He prophesied it, said this is a word from God. It didn't happen. That's a false prophecy. Paula White, 
right? Donald Trump's former spiritual advisor prophetically declared all of her followers would be healthy and wealthy in 2019. Pretty sure that didn't happen for every single one of them. That's just a couple examples, but there's many, many more. And there's, there's also false teachers today, right, who aren't necessarily making prophecies but are teaching false doctrine. We need to be aware of them as well. Uh, for example, you have such people like Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, who teach the prosperity gospel that says God's ultimate will for your life is for you to be rich and healthy, and if you just have enough faith, it'll happen. It'll work out. You'll have a breakthrough. You have men like T.D. Jakes who deny the historical doctrine of the Trinity and teach that God is just one God who appears three different ways throughout history. That's heresy. But he's one of the most popular teachers in America. Other groups like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, they take what we see in the Bible and they reframe it and rework it and turn it into their own man-made religion and continue to deny historical doctrines of the faith like the Trinity, like the deity of Christ. They're built on the teaching of false prophets like Joseph Smith. And we have more recent movements like Jim Jones, David Koresh, right? These things continue to happen. It is a perennial problem. And they will continue to be until Christ returns. John Chrysostom, an ancient preacher in the, uh, the fourth century, said, remember that the ancient adversary, Satan, is forever introducing deception as if true. There is nothing new under the sun, right? The same false doctrines, the same false prophets continue to do the same thing. And make no mistake, right? It's not like these are well-meaning people who, who just are accidentally wrong. Satan is the father of lies, and false prophets are soldiers in his army, whether they realize it or not. And these false prophets, as Jesus says, they come to you, meaning they come into the church to carry out their agenda. These people don't just wake up one day and, oh, I turned into a false prophet. That's, that's not what happens. They are purposeful in what they do. And biblically, we can see several motives that false prophets have. We can understand a little bit of what drives them. Uh, one, they seek to distort the gospel and teach something different than the faith that has been believed and confessed by the church throughout the ages. Uh, for example, the Apostle John instructs the church to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then he goes on to say, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In other words, Anybody who denies the orthodox doctrine of the virgin birth and the incarnation is not from God. Right? Just as an example, false prophets will deny the sound doctrine of the orthodox Christian faith, and they will teach doctrinal novelty. Number two, false prophets seek to lead God's people astray from him and from his truth. Uh, we heard this as we read from Deuteronomy earlier. And this was Paul's concern for the Galatians. Uh, I'm sorry, for the Corinthians. He says, to the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, I'm, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. That was the problem. <coughs> Ultimately, false prophets and false teachers want people to follow them, not Christ. So they say, yeah, okay, well, yeah, Jesus says that in the Bible, but I have a new word for you. Come and follow me. 
yeah, this is good, but it's really not complete unless you send under my, sit under my prophetic ministry and receive new revelation from me. Because you don't have enough here in Scripture. You need, you need new things. You're following them, not Christ. Number three, false prophets seek to gain approval from people. That's what they want. They want influence. And they'll alter their teaching and preach messages that people love to hear. Jesus talks about this in Luke 6.26. He says, Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Why did the prophets in Jeremiah's day say, Nah, judgment's not going to come. Who's going to get more followers? There's a reason the prosperity gospel is so major today. There is a reason why Joel Osteen, who preaches that, is probably the most well-read, who has the most books purchased of all religious authors in this country. Because who wouldn't want to hear that God's will for your life is to be healthy and wealthy, right? False prophets are not concerned with God's approval, but they seek approval and influential following from people to fuel the fires of their pride. Finally, number four, False prophets often seek material gain as well. They're in it for the money. Right? They're in it for the financial benefit. These false prophets seek to fleece the sheep. They seek to gain money, pleasure, possessions from those who follow them. Um, Paul describes these false teachers as those who imagine that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, their religious teaching authority and position is a means by which they can become wealthy and rich. How these false teachers, because of their love of money, Paul says, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Ultimately, the motive of false teachers is described by Jesus perfectly in verse 15. These people come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, this may come as a surprise, but wolves are not actually looking to care for and protect sheep. Okay, That's not their motive. Jesus uses this word ravenous. It's a word that describes deceitful robbery, swindling somebody in order to destroy them. Wolves do not help sheep. They eat sheep. And that is what Jesus is referring to. He's telling us that these false prophets will come into the flock of God and bring destruction. But they'll disguise themselves as sheep in order to do so. Right? You're not going to have a situation where somebody comes in and goes, hey, I just want you all to know I am a false prophet. I'm going to be giving you some lies. If you're interested, come see me after church. That's not how it works. That's, that's not what happens. They want to blend in with the sheep. They want to gain trust. They want to gain influence. They want to gain an advantage so that they can slowly begin to pick off the sheep one by one for their own gain. These false teachers seek a position through which they can have this kind of influence. Jude, in his epistle, I know the ladies have been finished going through Jude, but Shelby pointed out to me in Jude 12, right, how these false prophets would come into the love feasts of the early church, which was a time of fellowship and eating, but also of instruction, and they would come in there in order to spread their false doctrine and their false prophecy. Uh, Jude says that they are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Now this illustration of a wolf in sheep's clothing really emphasizes both the deceitful nature and the destructive nature of false prophets. They pretend to be something they are not in order to destroy the people of God. It's not a minor threat. It's not a mosquito bite, right? It's a wolf. They're a major danger to God's people. 
Paul understood this well. He spent three years with the Ephesians church, uh, laboring with them, teaching them from house to house. And he had to go. The Lord called him elsewhere. But he said to them, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Acts 20, 29, and 30. Really, these false prophets seek to appear as sheep within the very flock of God, saying to the other sheep, Hey, why don't you come over here with me for a second? I want to show you something cool, maybe something you've never heard before. Let me show you something over here, leading them away from the good shepherd so they can bite their throats and bleed them dry. It's graphic, but we have to understand the seriousness of false prophets and false teachers. Because if we don't, we will be led astray by them. We will be devoured by them. Only by understanding the reality of this danger can we actually obey Jesus and beware these false prophets. Uh, but knowing the nature, the features, the agenda of false prophets can only get us so far. right? Because it can look good on the outside, but we may not be able to pick up what's going on. A doctor may be able to understand how a disease works, but if he doesn't know how to recognize the symptoms, he can't do his patients any good. And for this reason, Jesus turns our attention to the fruit that false prophets produce in verses 16 through 18. The fruit of false prophets. The fruit of false prophets. Fortunately for us, false prophets are not invisible. They're not undetectable. Uh, if we know what to look for, if our spiritual radar is working properly, we can spot them, we can mark them, we can avoid them. Uh, Jesus tells us that we will be able to recognize them by their fruits in verse 16, which simply means we'll be able to identify them by what they produce. Jesus gives us a helpful illustration in these verses, 16 through 18. First, in verse 16, he, he poses a question that uh, those with even little agricultural knowledge can't answer. Do thorn bushes produce grapes? No, of course not. Do fig trees produce thistles or thistles produce figs? Well, no, of course not. Thorns and thistles can only produce what their nature allows. They're not fruit-bearing plants. It's impossible. And just like false prophets, they do not produce anything of nourishment, of substance, of, of life. Unless you're Eeyore in the 100-acre wood, thorns and thistles are not going to nourish your soul, right? Now, spiritually, Jesus' point here is that false prophets, false teachers, will not produce good, tasty, healthy, nourishing fruit because they simply are not the right kind of plant. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. And it's by the fruit of a plant that you can easily identify it, isn't it? If you look at a tree and there's apples on it, well, that must be an apple tree. In the same way, you can look at a plant, you can see the thistles, and, oh, that looks like a thistle plant. I see the pokies, right? The fruit reveals what kind of plant you're dealing with, and the same is true for false prophets as well. Now, Jesus continues with a similar analogy in verses 17 through 18, speaking of trees, right? He, he moves the analogy to trees. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every, oh, getting ahead of myself there. Getting ahead of myself. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, uh, bad fruit, excuse me, and an unhealthy tree cannot bear good fruit. It just simply cannot be otherwise. The health of a tree determines the kind of fruit it will produce. 
Uh, there's all kinds of diseases that affect fruit trees. Brown rot, peach scab, bacterial canker, right? All kinds of other disgusting names. And, and these diseases don't just affect the leaves or the bark of, uh, of the tree or of the branches, but they affect the fruit as well. In fact, the fruit's condition can actually help identify the health of a tree. If it's not producing good fruit, there must be something wrong with the tree. So a diseased tree will produce bad fruit, but a healthy tree will produce good fruit. This is true for false prophets as well. They are spiritually diseased, rotten to the core, overtaken with sin, and their fruits will eventually demonstrate that. And these fruits will be seen in the lives and the ministries of false prophets, false teachers as well. And this fruit will be gross, bad, and diseased. And unfortunately, they're are more than enough news stories about this kind of thing, especially within the charismatic movement. And, and don't get me wrong, I am not trying to unnecessarily pick on the charismatic movement, but there is a reason that false prophets find such a home there. Uh, let, me, let me explain. So <clears throat> part of our statement of faith, what we teach, what we practice here, is that the gift of prophecy does not continue because the canon is closed. Right? We don't need any more new revelation from God because we have the sufficient word of the scriptures. There's nothing more we need beyond what is in this book regarding knowing God. But believing that prophecy does continue, that people do continue to speak for God, completely opens the door for you to be deceived by false prophets. Because anybody can say, the Lord told me this, or God said that, right? How can you possibly know the difference? Obviously, if it doesn't come to pass, you can know. But it's shocking how often when that happens, justifications are invented, right? And people continue to buy into that. And there's a funny story about a charismatic church service, right? Where one man gets up and says, God told me X, Y, Z. And after him, another man got up and said, God says, no, I didn't, right? That just illustrates that, who do you believe, right? How do you know? So the, the point is, cessationism, believing prophecy does not continue today and is no longer needed, that is a helpful doctrine that will help you to obey Jesus here. That will actually help you to defend against being deceived by false prophets. So what are the fruits of false prophets and false teachers? What are those fruits? Well, there are some very evident fruits we can use to identify them. Um, number one, doctrinal deviance. Doctrinal deviance. They will teach doctrines that are not orthodox, that are not sound, that are not biblical. Uh, this is why each one of us individually must seek to have sound doctrine. We can't just be content with what other people know. We need to, for ourselves, pursue sound doctrine. And, and again, that's why being familiar with the scriptures, being familiar with the creeds of the church is immensely helpful. Right? Again, that's why we confess the Apostles' Creed. That's why we confess the Nicene Creed. Because those things have benefit for us in keeping us in historical Christian orthodoxy. The reality is the most uninformed sheep are the most easily deceived. So a major false uh, doctrinal fruit is, uh, a major fruit of false prophets, excuse me, is false doctrine. And that can be easy to spot sometimes. Number two, breaking unity. A false prophets will seek to divide God's people, often over doctrinal issues. And that's what Paul describes in Titus chapter 3. He says, as for a man who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. False prophets seek to divide God's people instead of uniting them around truth. Now, you know, historically, most cult leaders, most false prophets have begun in fairly orthodox Christian settings. Joseph Smith, you know, was raised in a fairly 
regular Christian home at one point in time. Jim Jones was at one point in time in regular Christianity. But then they divide over doctrine and they take their followers with them. They don't produce unity, they produce division. Number three, the fruit of false prophets will be unrighteous lives. False prophets will produce fruits of sinful and sensual living among themselves and their followers because they don't fear God. They don't fear God. They only live for their own gain and they'll do whatever they want whenever they want, even if they might put on a good PR image. Now, Peter writes that false teachers are those who are enticed by sensual passions of the flesh, right? Those who barely escape from those who live in error. These false teachers promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. They live loosely and teach their followers to do the same. Again, there's been many news stories, right? Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger, right? There's many, 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 many stories. Certain televangelists who have had patterns of serious sexual sin, financial fraud, abusive behavior. They produce unhealthy and unrighteous fruit in their lives. Number four. False prophets will sacrifice the sheep. That will be a fruit they produce. They will be found using the sheep for their own gain, even under holy-sounding pretenses. The sheep are sacrificed on the altar of the false prophet's agenda and are for his or her own benefit. Again, Jude 12 right, describes how these false prophets are shepherds feeding themselves. What do you think they're eating? They're not vegans, right? They're eating the sheep. These false prophets will be consumed with themselves and will use their followers for their own purposes and their own gain. There's probably other fruits too, but these are the four main ones Scripture points out. And sometimes it'll take time for these fruits to be revealed, but they will inevitably be produced by false prophets in time. So at the very least, these are things to look for. Jesus says you'll recognize them by their fruits, so here are their fruits. Doctrinal fruits, moral fruits. Do they teach what is good and what accords with Scripture? Do they teach sound doctrine? Do they live in a way that honors Christ, that reflects a commitment to holiness? I think it's helpful to consider the contrast between these bad fruits from false prophets and good fruits from true teachers. So what should good fruit look like from somebody who's not a false prophet? Well, the first would be doctrinal purity. And good teachers will, in the words of Jude 3, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. They're not going to teach novelty or new ideas. They're going to teach what is true, the ancient truths of Scripture, the same gospel of salvation. They will labor to bring those who they teach a better understanding of God's Word, not opinions. Number two, they will seek to preserve unity. True teachers will uh, desire and pray for and uh, seek to teach to the end of a Harvest of unity centered around sound doctrine and Christian love. Because true teachers love Christ and his people, they will seek to unify those they teach, not around themselves, but around Christ, around him. Number three, true teachers will produce a fruit of righteous living. They'll live in a way that's consistent with what they teach. This is why elders, those who teach the church, <clears throat> must be above reproach. Right? They must be above reproach. They must have a life that's morally pure. This is why Paul tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. The life and teaching of a true teacher will inevitably influence the moral life of those they teach. Righteousness will be a fruit that's produced. And finally, number four, 
True teachers will sacrifice for the sheep. They'll sacrifice for the sheep. Just as false prophets sacrifice the sheep for themselves, true teachers sacrifice themselves for the sheep. That's what Paul said to the Ephesians in Acts 20. He said, I, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know how these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is a more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, 33 through 35. Paul was not interested in the gain of the Ephesians. He wasn't interested in their money. He wasn't interested in being wealthy or how he could use them. He was interested in serving them and sacrificing for their sake. And that'll be a fruit of true teachers. Now, you know, we don't want to become heresy hunters. Now, what I mean when I say that is we don't want to assume that everybody is a false prophet until proven otherwise, right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We want to be patient with our brothers and sisters who may be growing in their understanding of right doctrine. But we're talking about those who teach in the church, right? Those who come in and try to teach certain things or make prophecies. So we're talking about a, a, somebody who has a position of, of authority perhaps in the church, something like that. We don't want to be heresy hunters. Uh, we don't want to be always looking for a way that somebody is wrong. Okay, that's not what Jesus is calling to, but what he is calling us to is to recognize the reality, false prophets produce bad fruit, and know what that bad fruit is so that we can beware of them and not be deceived by them. Right? The Bible calls this discernment. Uh, that's, that's what we see in Scripture, right, in Hebrews chapter 5. Discernment is the ability to tell what is good, what is true, and what is not. Jesus is really calling us to practice discernment. We need to be able to identify the fruit of false prophets because if we follow them, our fate will be the same as theirs. And that's our final point. In verses 19 and 20, we see the fate of false prophets described. Jesus says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The illustration continues, but Jesus now describes the end result of those who are false prophets and those who follow them. And Jesus says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit, and remember that's false prophets, right? They bear bad fruit. That tree is cut down and thrown into the fire. And what Jesus says here actually makes a lot of sense. If a tree is diseased, you can't make furniture out of it. It's not going to be any kind of agricultural use to you. The only thing it's good for is firewood. Not much else, right? John the Baptist actually utters these same words to the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, telling them, in effect, they were leading God's people astray and would be judged by him and done away with. So the fate of these false prophets will be the same as the diseased tree in the illustration. They will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's serious stuff. Right? This is, of course, a metaphor for the eternal judgment of God, for the destruction that they will face for leading God's people astray and misrepresenting God. There will be no mercy for false prophets like this. There is no grace for false teachers who continue in their deceitful activities. There is only judgment and destruction. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, that they secretly bring in destructive heresies, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. The only use that God has for false teachers and false prophets 
is to glorify himself in his justice by destroying them in his righteous judgment. That's a hard truth, so I'm going to say it again. The only use that God has for false prophets and false teachers is to glorify himself by showing his justice in destroying them. That's weighty. That's weighty. But that is the level at which Scripture speaks about false prophets. There is hardly an offense more grievous to God than for people to misrepresent him and claim to speak for him while leading his people astray from the truth. God is a jealous God. He is jealous for his glory. He is jealous for his name. He is jealous for his word. And he has very little patience or compassion for those who continue on as false prophets or false teachers. His patience extends to this life only. These false prophets that Jesus speaks of can be thought of as tour guides to the wide gate, which, as we heard last week, leads to destruction. Yet those who follow these false prophets will not bear good fruit either. Because what bears good fruit in us? It is the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, which is truth, in our lives to make us more like Christ, who is the truth himself. False prophets teach that which is false. They do not have the Spirit of Christ. They do not teach what is true. There will be no good fruit produced in those who follow false prophets. And what Jesus says here in verse 19 applies to the followers of false prophets as well. Because they will not be trees that bear good fruit either. Because false prophets lead people away from Christ and the saving message of the gospel, the final destination of those who listen and believe false prophets will be destruction as well. Now this is no light matter. This is, again, this is not a, a feel-good topic, is it? And, you know, to be honest, I have a pit in my stomach because of how seriously Jesus addresses this topic and how seriously Scripture addresses it and how many people have completely bought in to false prophets in America who continue to export their false teaching to Africa, South America. Just consider for a moment. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but I feel like we really don't understand the reality of this in our country which is where we live, so that's what we'll talk about. I, I really don't know if we always understand the, the seriousness of this. Because as American evangelicals, sometimes we just kind of accept a lot of things. If it talks about God, then we might be open to that, right? You know, our, our American publishing industry, social media pages, those things provide false prophets platforms like never before. Like never before. TBN. Right, a television network. Platforms false prophets like there has never been opportunity in, 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 in times past. The best known names in American Christianity, many of them are false prophets. That should concern you. That should concern you for the sake of other people. And that should concern you if you have bought into that. Who are you listening to? Who are you reading? Are they trustworthy teachers? Do you know how to tell? Or do you like them because they tickle your ears or maybe speak to your fears about current events or 
your, your troubles in life. Brothers and sisters, we have, to, we have to be familiar enough with the scriptures. You don't need to be a seminary student, but you need to be familiar with the doctrines of the Christian faith and the contents of the word of God to be able to have discernment, to be able to compare the things floating around out there with scripture, because this is our authority. It's the word of God. As Charles Spurgeon said, ours is not to hew or burn but it is ours to know. We're not responsible for judging or destroying false prophets and false teachers, right? We are responsible somewhat to keep them out of our churches, but we are held accountable by Jesus himself in this text to know truth and to discern error, to beware of false prophets, not just to like something because it's popular. So friends, let me encourage you, concern yourselves with the word of God. Concern yourselves with right doctrine. It's good to know some theology, right? It's good to know some theology. These things aren't just for pastors. They're for all of God's people, right? Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His word will keep us on the narrow path. And why does God take this so seriously? Why should we? Because God is the God of truth. He is the God of truth. He is the God who never lies. It is impossible for him to bring falsehood. And his will for us is that we would be people of truth. As 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Therefore, we must have nothing to do with false prophets. So may the Lord keep us walking the narrow path, illuminated by his word, that we might recognize and avoid false teachers and false prophets and instead be people of the truth, who love the truth, who know the truth, who walk in the truth, who worship the God of truth, in spirit and truth. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, your word is, it is life to us. It is a light to our feet, to our path. And Lord, it contains all that we need for life and godliness. Lord, your word today has been a sobering warning to us of a real danger that continues 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. He speaks them to us today. Lord, help us not to fear false prophets. Help us not to be anxious about them, Lord, in a fearful way. For you are greater than they, Lord, and your truth greater than their falsehood. But Lord, help us to be sober-minded. Help us to take seriously Jesus' warning here to evaluate what we have been listening to, what we've been reading, what we've been taking in. Lord, again, I pray if there are those who have been led astray by false prophets here today or watching online, that Lord Jesus' words would be a, a, a splash of cold water to them, that they would turn from those things and come to the truth of your word rightly taught, rightly understood. Our Lord, we thank you that you have given us truth himself in the person of Jesus Christ. What more could we want besides him? We thank you, O oh Lord. Keep us discerning. Keep us on the narrow path, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.